What if you were a teenage prodigy who could use mathematics to predict the future, but finally your numbers-driven world collapsed into betrayal and kidnapping by a criminal empire? That's the equation for Calculated and its sequels from novelist Nova McBee, who now joins today's episode. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth. This is the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm me, Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven. Pretty good at math, but I much prefer words. And I'm also the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I love math, but calculus just killed me. I had to take it three times because I kept getting really bad grades. Much different from my wife who loves math and wishes she had majored in it. But anyway, this is episode 159. What if your genius math skills got you in trouble with the mob? And we'll be talking about the book and soon-to-be movie, Calculated, with author Nova McBee. Nova McBee is uh, waiting outside somewhere. We'll see how she flies in here in just a moment. First off, we need to stop by our first sponsor for this episode, returning champion Oasis Family Media, which owns Enclave Publishing, which just published War of Torment. Another book, book four in the Drosseran Saga by Rona Kindig, which released in April. Here's the description. The time for peace is over. Now he demands vengeance. They followed him back against his will, against his intention. Now enemies threaten from every direction. Amidst it all, Marco Dusan struggles to lead his people to help them survive, even mayhap win the war. He will take any advantage to even the odds, but only after tragedy strikes does he learn just how much he's willing to sacrifice. That is War of Torment, book four of the Drosseran Saga, which is space opera from author Ronan Kindig. The audiobook is available from Oasis Audio, and you can get the hardback as well. Get all the links in our show notes for episode 159 or at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. I hear the chopping sound of blades, which can only mean that today's guest is on her way. So let's open the hangar bay doors. Nova McVie has just entered the Lorehaven Studios uh, in a helicopter, which is probably being chased by the mob or something like that. So <laughs> we are going to lock back the hangar bay doors. She is a Seattle native who has lived nearly half her life in the Middle East, Europe, and Asia. Calculated, her first book is currently in development to become a major motion picture. An Emmy award-winning screenwriter, Anne Peacock, best known for the Chronicles of Narnia movie, will adapt the novel for the screen in partnership with One Door Studios, who owns the rights and options to all of the books. We'll have more links about that in the show notes. We're going to talk about the books first, and then what's going to happen with the movie next. Nova, welcome to Fantastical Truth. Thank you so much. I loved flying in to be with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's just a few bullet holes on the fuselage there. <laughs> I imagine you really got to have your math right if you're flying a helicopter because, uh, you know, if you if you do the equation wrong or don't carry the one, you know, you'll, <laughs> I imagine you crash. So quick, what is A squared plus B squared? Oh, my word. You're not doing that to me. <laughs> no, don't do that. If a helicopter leaves Minneapolis traving at 60 miles per hour at a vertical ascent vector of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, we're, we're not. Do, we're, we're, we're solving story problems that are actual stories here uh, at Lore yeah. Haven. That's that's what we need to emphasize for sure. Uh, so we always like to ask, though, Nova, before we get to our main questions about the story. How did you personally discover biblical faith and fantastic imagination? And how far can you get into your story without mentioning C.S. Lewis? Wow, that's a great question, um, because faith and imagination are so, they're so connected. I grew up in a Christian home, but I, I think that doesn't mean too much, because even growing up in a Christian home, kids still have their own minds and their own questions. And, you know, parents can tell them anything, but at the end of the day, if God doesn't meet them and they don't meet God themselves, you know, they don't make those choices. And that was definitely me as a kid. I grew up in a very faith-filled home, very loving home, creative home, very creative home. We are just a very creative family that I praise God for all the time. And, but even as a very young child, my, my mom, you know, and my dad, but mostly my mom would come in and tell me all about God and even as a young kid, I would ask her, well, how do you know? I can't, you know, you can't see him. You can't hear him. And I was like, how do you know he's real? And I would ask the deepest questions to my mom nightly. And this is what I love is like, even young children can ask the deepest questions. The depth is out there in every culture. I've lived around the world for 20 years. 
kids are deep and they can understand deep spiritual things and God can encounter kids in powerful ways. And that's really my story is like God started encountering me as a kid and opened up like things I didn't ask for that I didn't know were existed that I didn't know were real. He started giving me like dreams and visions as a kid. I, the supernatural was open to me as a child. I didn't ask for those things, but he decided to show me. And I have one of those radical stories that even my brothers and sisters are very jealous of. They're like, why you? Why, <laughs> why you and not us? You know, and, and that was part of their journey meeting God because they're like, Nova got to see it all, hear it all, experience it all. But what about us? And it was such a powerful contrast, you know, where they they had to come to to faith in a totally different way. It was like, well, even if I see nothing, what do I know? Will I follow? You know, and I, oh, powerful stories in my family growing up. And even when my one sister who had a big problem with like, I've seen nothing, you know, and, and God really led her to believe, will you follow me? Even if you see nothing, will you trust me? And once she said yes, well, well, the whole can of worms broke open and she started seeing stuff all the time, you know, but um, for me as a kid, I'm a dreamer. I've been a dreamer my whole life, which I do feel like is why my imagination is so big and so rich. Um, because the dream world can be so rich. And one dream when I was a kid that impacted me for my entire life, I was very young when I had this. I was I probably, what, six, seven, eight? I don't really remember how how young I was. But I was in the dark, on the streets, out of my house as a child, running from, what, monsters. Lots of different kinds of monsters. And I am, like, running in the dark on the street already a kid on the street in the dark is enough you know you're away from mom and dad you're already scared but monsters were chasing me and um i am running 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 trying to escape them and they're gaining on me and finally what happens typical dream you come to the dead end this is like a dream of a child i'm at the dead end they're closing in on me i have no idea what to do but in my dream all i do and I am, I don't even know how it, how it comes out, but I scream the name Jesus and instantly every monster disappears. Amazing. Oh, wow. Every monster disappears. That's the true meaning of Halloween kids. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> well, no. And as a child, and this is what impressed me now as an adult, when I look back at my upbringing, it impressed me because in that one dream, I understood many, many things about God. Call on me and I will answer. I will rescue you. I hear you. Nothing is impossible. I am strong enough. It was like all of these things in one dream. I knew if I call in his name, I will be saved. And it was just this awesome, powerful thing that in one dream he was able to teach me. But it gets better. I mean, I, I don't, oh, this is not, this is a podcast about books, but I just had the most radical encounters with God as a kid that I'm just like, I've seen too much, I've heard too much. I've just never been without faith. It's like, um, and I, I just, that's my story. I've just always had faith. Even if I had to grow it out, I had to, I had to grow up and work it out and all that stuff. You know, I had to come to the point where I had to like read the Bible really and know it for myself to really, really stand on that true foundation. But faith was never an issue with me. Like when I was, this is another radical thing in my life. But when I was eight, I was terrified that my house was going to burn down. That was my fear. Even as a child, you can fear death. And that's like another thing I've seen around the world. It's like, no matter what age you are, like there's always that fear. And in, in my schools at the time, um, everyone was doing fire safety, you know, and it was like freaky for me. They're like, you know, the smoke rises. You just keep your door shut. I never, they're like, sleep with your door shut because of the smoke and, you know, like all this stuff and smoke rises. I, and then I outside my window was the driveway. So I couldn't really jump out. We're on the second story. You know, and just like they're like, do you have your ladder? Do you have this? And every night I would go to sleep asking my parents, did you turn off the stove? Like, what about what is our house going to burn down? And I was really, really legitimately afraid of my house burning down as a child. And my mom would pray for me and she'd be like, You're, we're not going to the house is not going to burn down. We are OK. But it still did not take away any of uh, this fear that I had. And this is really cool because it was the only time in my life that I slept in the room with my two sisters. So I have, there's four kids in my family, my older brother, then me and my two younger sisters. I never slept in a room with any of them except for this one year, the one year I was afraid of death, <laughs> of my house burning down, right? 
And I slept on the top bunk, no less. That's where the smoke goes. I'm going to die. I'm going to die first. Oh, yeah. You can hear that stuff rises. Yes. You know, it's like some people get saved and it's uh, often disparaged as, you know, Christians just getting saved because they they want fire insurance. But fire is a real threat. So it makes sense to fear that. And sometimes I think that God can use negative things like fear or bad dreams, maybe even a vision or two here and there. Uh, in order to drive us uh, into the arms of Christ uh, and into the gospel that alone can save. So that that is fantastic. Well, yeah. So I'm, you know, in this scenario as a kid, I already believe in Jesus. Like, you know, I've already like told him I'm going to follow you and all that stuff. And um, so this one night I go to sleep and then I wake up and I am not dreaming. And as a child, I knew that I was not dreaming at all. And like I said, it was very, very significant that it was in a room with my sisters and I was on the top bunk. And this this is one of the experiences that changed my life forever. Um, I woke up and I see this humongous like angel on my bed and not just on my bed, but on both of my sister's bed. And as a child, I knew I was awake and I it was looking at me and I was looking at it and I still see it so vividly in my mind today 40 years later or whatever 30 years wow. later and it's on my bed and it says you don't have to be afraid Jesus is with you and to have that radical experience as a kid like I said I didn't ask for that no one was telling me about that I woke up the next day first of all I couldn't talk about that experience as without bawling my eyes out like this holy spirit power would just come on me and it was so powerful I couldn't even talk when I tried to tell that story for years but from that day my fear was gone (laughs) my fear was gone and that and I was like kind of that revelation moment where you know you cannot die unless he says so I was like I am like and that led to a lot of crazy adventures around the world because I was like I'm not gonna die like I got angels next to me. Okay. (laughs) Like uh, there's like no way I can die unless he said, and it was like such a revelation as an eight-year-old. I became like, so like 100% no doubt. And, and I was a very crazy, reckless child. And because of that, I was just like, I can do anything. (laughs) I was like, I am not going to die. So that, and like I said, I still, you know, had to work it out. I still was a crazy uh, person until my twenties. Um, and then God just like led me to read his word and really sunk, sink into like those foundational truths. But I've had some awesome experiences. God has been with me my entire life. I just adore him in every way. Well, that is a rip roaring testimony there. Yeah, Zach, I know like you hear, uh, especially with the other work, you hear stories about people. Uh, everybody always wants to say that this exclusively happens overseas or only to those crazy Christians uh, where there's some kind of a visitation or a vision or some kind of brief partition uh, in the divide between uh, the natural world uh, and more the spiritual dimension. And then suddenly there's a great big Frank Peretti Captain Tal angel right there. But we know that (laughs) this does happen and it drives people to God's word, Uh, drives people to the gospel to try to figure out was it what is it that i saw and how how does god's word explain this yeah oh yeah i've never i've never seen anything supernatural but i've definitely had dreams where uh, i mean it was like clear to me that a demon was trying to get me and then i just prayed the name of jesus in the dream and woke up and got out of it but you know I, i think about what jesus said to thomas when he said you know blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen and I would just yeah. say that as a word of encouragement for anyone listening. And it's like, well, I want to see a, a darn angel. Like, yeah, just I'm kind of thinking that right now, <laughs> yeah, actually. Right. Yeah, I want to see a big, <laughs> tall one with a sword. But you know what I love in that story, Nova, is that that angel pointed you to Jesus and said, you're safe because Jesus is with you. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's the mark of a true angel of the Lord, right? Because it, you know, scripture says, like, test the spirits, like, so you'll know whether they're from God or not. And it sounds all like he's self-tested tested in that case. Right. He's <laughs> like, he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm trust me. Like I'm one of the good ones. So I, I love that, that he, he pointed you towards Christ to put your faith in him. And yeah, you're right. Like until like he is prepared Ephesians two ten. we were talking about this in my family recently, actually that, that he has prepared good works for us to do in advance. Like we're not saved by those works. In fact, the verses before that say very clearly we're saved by grace but we're saved in order to do the works he's prepared for us. And until those works are complete, like there is, I mean, there is a sense in which we are invincible uh, because we're, 
in, you know, obviously there's some amount of free will and I don't know how all that works together, but like uncle Ben knows with yeah. great power must also come great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. The gospel according to Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. So, so you have been, uh, invincible, uh, effectively immortal then, uh, Nova, and we can go to chapter one now with this amazing backstory. Uh, you've uh, written this, uh, young adult series kind of bordering on the edge of uh, sci-fi, maybe a little dystopian in there, starting with, calculated uh and now you've got two books out as well and there's a fourth one on the way uh what images and ideas uh, including but i assume not limited to the ones you've talked about uh, led to you starting to create this story kind of like can you remember the, a moment yeah. where it's like i'll mention c.s lewis since you didn't you know you suddenly see a fawn in the woods with packages like well there's a story there what's going on uh, did you ever have a story like that well you know it's funny First of all, that you've mentioned C.S. Lewis, because I, I grew up in a very, you know, faith-filled home, like I said, but we never read Christian fiction. Like, we just never, that's just, it was not a thing. And I didn't even know it existed. Well, until, some of it isn't like, really yeah. worth noting, let's just be honest. <laughs> so that's, some of it's kind of lame. Yeah. yeah. I so read the better I, stuff and the lame stuff, personally. <laughs> I, I'm impressed with so many, you know, Christian authors right now just writing fantastic stories. Um, because when I did, you know, start to become a writer and I found out that there were Christian, there was actually Christian fiction, I picked it up and I'm like, whoa, this is really kind of an odd experience. you know. <laughs> and, but then, of course, I didn't even read. So I knew all about, you know, C.S. Lewis, of course. Um, but I didn't even read it for myself until I was in my 20s. So well, there, it's probably the best time to read a lot of C.S. Lewis stuff, especially his nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. And so I I just didn't grow up with Christian stories um, or Christian fiction, I should say. Um, And I knew I never wanted to write Christian fiction, but I knew I wanted to write from a from a place of of like very just like I told you, I've been a deep kid. I was a deep kid. I always asked my parents deep questions. I remember me and my dad just going deep every single night. And my dad is also a writer. He's such a creative. And so imagination is just one. I've always written stories, written songs, written plays, like all that kind of stuff. Didn't know I actually wanted to be a writer until my late 20s. And then I ended up practicing for years, just practicing the craft, you know, and then when Calculated came along, I'd already been living in China for years. I'd lived ar- already around the world. I've been involved in incredible things around the world. Um, I have an international political degree, international relations political degree. I got to be involved in all kinds of stuff. And then I'm also from Seattle, which has got a huge anti-trafficking hub because we're we're you know connected to Canada. We have a water border. You know all of these things. There's just there's a lot of uh, traffic between Asia and America coming through Seattle. Um, and I also went to uh, the University of Washington that's very active in all of these things. Um, and so the, you're talking about what images, what kind of started this whole calculated thing, because I've been writing a ton of different fantasy at this point. And calculated is sort of left field for me because I don't really read contemporary and like you said, it's kind of sci-fi. It's not sci-fi, but sci-fi people love it. And I've been invited to sci-fi conferences because of it, because of the tech I've created. It's in an it. honorary sci-fi or near future techno thriller. Like, are it, those labels? Is, right? Okay. But see, that's the thing. This book has transcended so many genres. People, it, it was nominated for best international thriller for young adult international out of a thousand titles, all mainstream titles. And, but I'm like, oh, but I didn't write it as a thriller. And they're like, oh, and they're like, no, no, you have to understand anything that makes your heart pound is a thriller. (laughs) Anything that gives you that deep, deep thrill, no matter what it is, is counts as a thriller. And I was like, well, okay, I guess it counts. Then I had sci-fi people contacting me. They're like, oh no, it totally counts as sci-fi because of these elements. I'm like, oh, wow, that's (laughs) interesting. And then it's like action, adventure, and there's a little bit of romance. And there's, you know, people are like, oh, but it feels so dystopian. I had a one major editor from a major house say, oh, no, this feels like fantasy because her gift is so fantastical. So I'm thinking, oh, my word, I fit in like 15 different categories, you know, which is great because that's what happened to the books. It just went in all different directions, started hitting people from age 10 to age 80 in all different genres. I have men who read adult espionage fiction now reading my books and it just like can't get enough. They're like, I'm on the second read through. And I'm like, whoa, I have teenage boys, teenage girls, 
moms and daughters, families even reading it together because of the depth of the story. And it, it kind of has something for everyone. And so when I was writing that, I didn't necessarily think, oh, I'm going to write for all of these things. No, I just wrote what was in my imagination. And that was how that all came about was I was I had been living in France uh, on a brief break from China. And I had finished The Count of Monte Cristo with my husband. My husband and I were reading it back to back together. Count of Monte Cristo set in France. So again, he, ha my husband has an amazing imagination too. We're both like major dreamers. We're major just like explorers. Take us to the ends of the earth. The craziest places we'll go. He's a photo journalist. We both finished The Count of Monte Cristo and we're kind of looking at it like, wow, Alexander Dumas was literally trying to retell the story of Joseph in the Bible. <laughs> You know, we're like, he just told it in this fantastical way. He used his imagination and reimagined it in his time, what that would look like, you know? And so we're like, I'm just, I'm dissecting that basically. I'm like, Alexander took Joseph, which is Edmond Dantes, you know, betrayed in this prison, dark, has a mentor, you know, all this stuff. And so we're kind of like playing with those elements or I should, I say we, but I was, and I was sharing with, you know, my husband and stuff. And I'm living in China at the time. So I'm like, well, you know, what if what if this same kind of thing happened today right now? What would it look like? What would it look like? I was like, ooh, for sure it'd be a girl. And she'd be she'd be trafficked. And and you know, there's nothing graphic in my book. Sorry, she's not trafficked. There's nothing that you're gonna see. That's why parents all over the US have contacted me. Yeah, I just edited I just edited the review and we said, for example, uh, we said, you know, there's references in the margins, but there's not any kind of challenging material in that way. I would no say graphic other than knowing it exists. Yes. And knowing it exists, parents, homeschool parents, teachers, they have thanked me that I have not been graphic, but I've been able to touch on some deep and powerful things that anyone could talk about, but it, it doesn't take you to those really dark images and dark things. And I did that on purpose because again, I wanted different age groups. I didn't want to, I wanted to touch on those things, but not give anybody a place where they couldn't enter in, right? And also I worked with tw 20 years abroad. So you have to understand the standards around the world are very different than American standards. And I know I'm writing to an international audience because that's where I've lived. Those are my people all around the world. And I understand they have different levels and worldviews and, and different standards and values. And I'm trying to make something for everyone. I did know that. I did know I wanted a wide audience. And so I really paid attention to how I wrote this book. Um, but anyway, so then I was like, okay, so let's, you know, instead of France, I'm in China. China's, a, China's trying to be a world power right now, you know, and like economic things are happening. And, and I was like, you know, what, I, you know, but I knew Josephine Rivers needed a like an edge on everyone else around her. So I'm like, what would that edge be? Cause she needs to be sharp. She needs to be able to be, she needs to be able to stand against the top of the top and yet have something to say. And so I was like, obviously the answer is math. And then I like, you know, pretty much tortured myself for the rest of the series because I'm like made her a math prodigy. And that was not easy to do. Took a ton of research, took a ton of like, it was like going back to school. Okay. And I'm not a math person, but kind of like your wife, Zach, um, mm -hmm. if, if I could have been a mathematician second time around, I, I would have been, cause I've fallen completely in love with all the mathematical concepts because they are amazing. Okay. They, quick. How many like, digits of pi can you recite from memory? No, Three, no, 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 no. I am one, not an four, equation person one. or a formula person. I it sounds more like the meaning conceptual. of math is what you've <laughs> been most interested yeah. in. Uh, fractals, mm. things like that. Just the idea of it, the way that God has built his universe <laughs> according to rational thought and principles oh, uh, and consistency. Yes. yes. And I've met mathematicians and I've met through this series, I've been able to meet with the top hackers of the world. Satellite oh, wow. experts, NASA experts, electromagnetic spectrum experts, engineers, mathematicians, prodigies. It has been incredible. So um, so that's kind of where those images started to come from. Um, just like getting this story. And then I'm a very I'm a Mission Impossible fan for sure. I like, you know, I grew up with Indiana Jones and all those kinds of like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, just like all of that adventure. And then of course. Uh, for me, it's always like y the good guys have to win, you know, but, you know, and so I knew I wanted a radical adventure. I also knew I wanted it to be international. This whole series is international because I'm international. I grew up in a very international home. 
My mom is a dual citizen of another country. We had internationals in our home growing up. I wanted culture, language. I wanted all the stuff wrapped up to an, into an entertaining powerhouse of a story. And um, that's that was what I attempted. And after years of working at it, it finally came out. Well, it does seem to be working. And we'll find out in a moment uh, how readers have been responding to this. Uh, you mentioned a moment ago uh, the original inspiration being The Count of Monte Cristo. It's always great when authors can go back uh, and uh, kind of be inspired by an older classic, uh, which leads me to our second sponsor this time. It is Infernal Fall, uh, the audiobook now from author Brian Timothy Mitchell. The Infernal Fall audiobook is out. And to celebrate, Descendant Publishing is giving away 100 free codes through Spotify. You can enter the giveaway before July 7th at briantimothymitchell.com. For a chance to hear James L. Rubart narrate Brian's debut novel in this modern twist on Dante's Inferno, Daniel Strong is ready to propose marriage until he falls into hell, where a demon plans to take him from the Valley of the Fiery Mountain through the city of Grayton and on to Satan. Another spirit wants to save him, but to escape, Daniel needs to get right with God. While hell feeds his rage, the engagement ring in his pocket reminds him to never lose hope. There's also a paperback at Amazon and an ebook too, but the audiobook and all those other links will be in the show notes for episode 159 or at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Okay, so Daniel Strong is descending, uh, but Calculated has been ascending, uh, which brings <laughs> me to chapter two. How have readers responded to this globetrotting adventure uh, starring Josephine Rivers, uh, also known by several other aliases? Yes, right? The Her many names. Readers have just been so amazing. And and that's where we're kind of in this whole different season when it comes to being an author. Because, you know, I just taught at a middle school last week and I was like, growing up, I never met an author face-to-face. -face. It's like you go to the doctor, you meet doctors and nurses face-to-face. -face. It's very connected to the industry. But this industry, you just like you go to the library, you meet librarians, you don't meet the authors. It, it was so, you just, I, I literally thought they were dead. I mean, growing up, I was like, these books are written by dead people like C.S. Lewis and you just read them. And I just like, you just don't put the two together as a kid. And so nowadays we have readers that can contact you on Instagram and just tag you in reviews and they, they message you about their emotions. And that has been amazing because the, the, the reviews and the feedback are just phenomenal. It's, it's like why I wanted to be a writer. It was just the impact that they have, the, the emotions, the things they're picking up and the different things that they read into the story, it's been phenomenal. And like I said, one of the beautiful things is the audience is so wide that I'm just like, wow, this is such an honor. Like men love my books, teen boys love my books. Even at the, the, the school that I just taught at, the librarian said, I read your prologue to the something they called like it's a book talk where they introduce new books. And he said, at the end, I had 35 people line up for your book. And he's like, and here's the thing that doesn't happen. He's like, both. it was both boys and girls. That is very rare. I was just listening to a podcast yeah. about uh, J.K. Rowling and how the Harry Potter phenomenon took off uh, in the 1990s. Very similar effect uh, where you had the books, which I guess in her case are a lot easier to pin down as far as their genre. Yeah. Uh, but there are so many different types of readers of types of ages and a middle grade and older and certainly an appeal across both sexes, uh, male, uh, yeah. males and females. Uh, sounds like a similar phenomenon is going on with uh, Calculator and, it, and its sequels. And that is, yeah, that's kind of like what the librarian said, who was a man is too. He's like, I'm already halfway through. I picked it up and I can't put it down. And so for me, that was, that was just an amazing response to know that, you know, as we should, as we're designed to engage with other age groups and, and the other gender, like we're, we're designed like that. We're designed to appreciate each other. And um, I wanted to write a book like that. And so to have that be um, one of the, the results was so, it was such a great feeling. And then, you know, it, it got great reviews, which is also, you're, you're kind of, you know, terrified when you first send it out and you're kind of shaking in your boots, especially when you send it to big places like Kirkus and the School Library Journal. And when they came back and said it was great, I was just like, ah, this is amazing. And, and then to just have the response, like in the movie industry was just another, another level of 
just like huge thanks because for one, a lot of readers don't know how much work goes into the story. I got this idea for calculated years before it was published and had to, I kept working on it years and years and years while I was waiting to get an agent. And, and that process was very long. And it's like, and then it was like years to get a publishing deal. So it's like, you know, eight years from beginning to end, you're, you're, and it's like, wow, I really had to stand the test of time. I really had to like actually stand on something that I believed in for so long that event, you know, it's funny because you get to the point where like, wow, you've read your own book. Like so many times you're like, you, all the twists and turns don't feel like twists and turns anymore. They feel like just, you're like, this is so boring. There's zero twists and turns it's because you've read it so many times. Um, but it's, it's so amazing because when you do stand and you don't give up and the door finally does open and those rewards finally start trickling in, you're like, oh, 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 oh thank God. You know? So what would you say is the strangest, in a good way, uh, response from a reader that you've had so far? Like, I did not think it was going to go that way, but now that it did, I'm actually pretty happy about it. Um, I wouldn't say I've had any strange reviews or ways, but people just have talked very deeply about how it's affected their lives, especially as the books go on. You know, by book two and three, people are like, I'm never going to see life the same. You have shown me, you have like opened my eyes. And um, like I said, it's these amazing characters who have lived these really fantastical stories, but they are using who they are. Like a lot of my my stories come with with identity and purpose. Like that's definitely some of the deeper themes in Calculated, our, our identity and purpose. And then how are you going to, once you find out who you are, what are you going to do? Because like everything that we do actually flows from who we are, right? How are you going to use that? And talking about like, you, you know, everyone's born with a gift. How are you going to use that gift for good or for evil? Every villain in my book has a gift. They're, they were born skilled with that gift and they chose it for evil. So what about you? Are you going to use it for good or for evil? So it's like dissecting those things, but then having this other layer. There's like so many layers in my book that is that, that take a lot of work to get, to get there. It's the cultural layers. And then it's the mathematical and scientific layers that help us just dissect those things and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what I really love putting in. Those layers take a lot of extra work. And even my own publisher was like, how do you balance this? I've, you know what? This has been one of the funniest responses. I've gotten this a lot. Are you a prodigy? How does your mind work? I need to know how your mind works. Like, how do you balance these stories in your head? And that's, you know, that's even a question for me. I'm like, well, have you seen my journals? I look like a madman because I'm like, you know, every journal is like scribbled out with because I am trying to balance all of those sub threads and all the different themes that I want to layer in. It's it is like a tapestry and you have every thread that you're trying to keep straight, trying to weave this thing together. And it is not easy. But yeah, like one of those, one of my first interviewers, they're like, I just have to ask you, you're, you're a prodigy, right? I'm like, no, I'm not. I have a big imagination and I, I worked really hard with research and, and I got big headaches along the way, but I, it was worth it. Well, and, and I think that ties into what I can, I haven't read this book yet, but it's definitely on my list. But I, I think this core theme of math being sort of the superpower, you know, for the main character and being able to predict the future the interesting thing about math is you don't have to be a prodigy to be able to succeed with it. Like it just takes effort. It it takes studying and, and, and whatnot, but it's a universal language. It's not like, you know, some people are just naturally taller or faster or stronger, or just their hand-eye coordination is just better but with math. It's just a matter of effort. And so I, I think that really shows that universal appeal to a lot of people. And, you know, and math is one of those, like sort of hidden superpowers that you don't always think about as a illustrious career could come from it. But as you mentioned earlier, that math is the cornerstone of encryption. Okay. Which that's a really big deal right now, both for good and for bad. As you said, I've really fallen in love with some messaging programs that use very strong encryption. I don't have to worry about things getting intercepted by bad guys. I study this just as a hobby and then there's the bad side of it, which is there's a new malware I just learned about that encrypts your Mac or your, your computer and locks you out of it and unless you pay a ransom for it. And it's these uh, ransomware gangs that are based out of Russia that launch this. They, 
they infected a hospital computer system with it and uh, and several other yes. high-profile uh, targets. And there was something in my memory, and I just found it if about six or seven years ago. There was a professor that solved a 300-year-old math equation, and he won seven hundred thousand dollars for mm-hmm. for this equation. You know, and this is something that's plagued people for years. And I don't understand anything about this equation, yeah. so please don't at me. I I don't I don't even know the name of this. It's oh yeah, Fermat's last theorem. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking a friend of mine about this at the time that was a math major. I'm like, why was this so hard? And you know, he tried to explain it to me. I was like, oh, there's hundreds of years of history, mm-hmm. and that's such a fun thing too that there is that rich tapestry of person after person after person trying to solve this or solve other problems. And so math is a very connecting, you know, discipline that, that really, that that fuels so much of our history and so much of our technology, obviously. And so I I love that that is the the superpower, but it's something that obviously she's better at than other people. Well, she has a unique twist. It's, it's not just that she's better at it. She has a supernatural twist to it. And I actually never described it as supernatural before, but my my film producers actually did. They're like, no, this is like a supernatural twist to it all. As she was just born with the ability to see the world through the differential equations and graphs, things that were making predictions all around her the way a differential equation would, right? Just using all the elements in the room and something, you know, you said this, this math is such a connector. It's across the world you can use math to communicate. And so it's not just like Americans solving math problems. It is universal where they are even sending math out on frequencies to like aliens because they're they're like, if anyone can understand a language, it's math. Yeah, there was a math equation included in the in the space probe. Uh, I think it was a, a, a Voyager uh, that was sent out. Yeah, Voyager. Because it should sure. be a universal, uh, universal appeal. Even the aliens should un- be able to understand that, right? Right. And there's actually lots of those unsolved equations because generation by generation, we understand more. And they're they're like, those problems are passed on from generation to generation. We have connected this over time and generations and cultures. And so it is phenomenal to use math. And that's another reason why I think all different kinds of people are like people who wouldn't usually like my books like it. You know, they come in and they're like, wow, this like math thread to it is so unique. You don't need math to read the books, but the way she says it, this is another huge feedback that I got, even from when it was on submission to after reviews is like, she's one of the most unique characters I've read in years because the way she sees the world. And so it gives us a new lens to see the world, which I think is important. We need characters to see the world in a new way. For those of you who would like to try writing your own books, just like Nova has, you might benefit from our third sponsor, the Realm Makers Organization. Their 2023 conference is coming up this July, and hundreds of writers who create fantasy, science fiction, and other stories will join the event July 13th through 15th. It's going to be live at St. Louis, Missouri. Authors can register at realmmakers.com and attend in person, or you can live stream it on the dedicated Realmsphere social network. Says co-owner and CEO Rebecca P. Minor, we at Realm Makers have enjoyed the privilege for over a decade of connecting Christian creators to one another and to opportunities in the publishing marketplace. We're not just about bringing expert faculty to the conference for teaching, although that's one of the pillars of what we do. We've also discovered that a writer's success is tied into relationships one way or another. The annual conference offers a supportive environment where authors can take the next step in their creative journey. You can register at realmmakers.com or get more information in our show notes, episode 159 or at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So Nova, using math or just uh, looking at pages that you can see and we cannot, uh, what can you predict is next? Uh, for the world of Josephine Rivers and Calculated. Uh, we've already uh, mentioned that, yes, there is going to be a movie on the way. So what can you tell us about that and spoil as much as you like or hide uh, whatever's best? <laughs> oh, wow. The movie is coming along brilliantly for, for listeners. Calculated is already in development. The The screenplay is already on draft three, moving to, a, you know, getting to that final polish uh, to where we get to actually show directors and, and talent, the actors that will be signed on to the film itself. Um, and they're moving di- directly into writing the other sequels. 
um, because they really do want to film these back to back. That's been exciting. That's been an, an exciting process uh, to see all the movement behind the scenes that uh, of film people who really love the books, really love the characters, love the world, can't wait to fit. I mean, after reading book three, they're like, man, we can't wait to film book three because it's just phenomenal. You know, like the locations, right? It, it moves from Shanghai or China to, to Tunisia to to Finland, the Arctic of Finland, right? And so it's like moving to these really cool locations. And so what's on the horizon is book four will come out later this year. And that's what everybody is sort of anticipating. And then the movement of announcing the the director and the talent to the the film that that's also some people are really really excited to hear what that will be but in the meantime uh my producers are super fun they're just like they want to work outside of the box which has been really fun and so they they actually opened up something called a key art initiative to to garner a a ton of art from artists of all kind, including anything from AI to, you know, hand-drawn, um, you know, to garner the, this movement for Calculated. They're like, hey, we want to try this thing. And we want to invite fans into the process to really, really lead. Like, what is what is the Calculated world? Let's get the fans' opinion. And so we actually just got contacted for an interview because they've, they've said they'd never heard a studio doing this in real time, where even the uh, the author, I was invited into this uh, discord group with all these artists from around the world creating art for ca the calculated series. And the, the studio is purchasing a ton, you know, just like it's just a, kind of this buzz that that they're using. It's it's really cool. But anyway, they have been claimed as the only studio to ever do that. <laughs> and so it's like it's fun to see people who use their imagination and innovation and like try new things and work outside of the box. And that's definitely been uh, my producers. They've had some awesome ideas. They've invited me into the process. I got to go to LA Comic-Con with them in December. We had a blast together just promoting the film franchise. And um, I'm going to see them next week for another event. And, you know, we even talked about, there's been a ton of people who are like, can we do some auditions? You know, we want to, we want a chance to be in, calculated and so you know they're like well what if we had unofficial auditions what if we had a group where people could like kind of a fan club of auditions but the producers will legitimately pop in to see is there anybody in the room and so they might even start that group next week so if you want to audition because you know there's tons of people reaching out like when do the auditions happen i want a shot so they're like hey why not let's start that i'd be curious to see and on a poll i did once um, I said, do you want to see Joe Rivers as like established talent or do you want to see new talent? 95% said new talent. Awesome. Nine, 95%. Really cool. And and I'm kind of the same thing. I'm like, let's get some of the older guys, some established actors that everyone knows because my production team is also very, they want like A-list, you know, they've they've gone with A-list screenwriters. They, they have a list of A-list directors and that kind of stuff. But all of them are very open to, yeah, like we do want to sign. They have ideas for great talent, but they're like, yeah, the new talent for Joe Rivers is an interesting idea, right? Because she's such a unique character. We, What if a new face is the only one that could play the role? And so I kind of like that idea. What, what, what do you guys think? Well, I do have daughters that are into acting. So I'm going to, after we get done with this, I'm going to go talk to them about it. <laughs> Absolutely. This is why we're starting. Yeah. I, I just love that this story focuses on young people, that it's it's a young adult thriller that's kind of for all ages, like you said. There's been a number of other movies I've been thinking about as we've been talking that really just never hit the mark for me, although they almost did. There's one back in 1998 called Pi. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's it's a Darren Aronofsky film. It's It's kind of obscure. It's kind of art house. It was so fascinating, though. It was about this mathematician that's trying to find this 216-digit number that's going to unlock the mysteries of the universe. And there's these stock traders that think this will predict the stock market. There's this rabbi that thinks, oh, this is going to be the name of God. And, you know, it's it's all, but it's all just very verbal. It's just a lot of conversations, not a lot of action. And one of my best friends, uh, John, loved this movie. And he, and he always talked about it. I'm just like... It's interesting. It just didn't do it for me. 
Another movie that this makes me think of is Timeline, which was a Michael Crichton uh, adaptation. It had um, Ben Affleck in it. I think um, uh, Uma Thurman in it. And it's about a device that can predict the future and then just all the the struggle over that device. And it so it's it's a thriller. Again, it's like one of those obscure. Oh, wait, did I say Timeline? I meant Paycheck. Sorry. Mm. Paycheck is the name of the movie. I can't remember if that's the name of the book, but I, I believe it was a Crichton book. A Timeline's a different one that it was, didn't really do so well, but, but it, it was sort of like, I don't know, like a thriller romance, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting, but I think it, there's just something really unique about a young adult story where it's being chased around the world and getting to, to see the world because that's, that's exciting when you're young, like you want to go explore the world, you know, even if you're being chased, it's still kind of fun to go around <laughs> when you're as old as me. Like I'm just grumpy when I travel. Like I, I just, I'm tall. I hate going on airplanes. And <laughs> of course, none of the airplanes work anymore because everything's uh, going downhill lately with Southwest airlines and, and whatnot. But I, I think you've got the right formula here for a really fun movie. And I, I think you've also got the right formula for how you're bringing it to screen. Steve and I have talked before about, the TV series, the chosen has really shown Christian fans that there are other ways that we can get our stories made into films. Like we don't have to just send Hollywood a message all the time. Like mm-hmm. we, we can go around the gatekeepers. We, we can fund it ourselves. And, and I, I know it's like, I don't pretend to know all that, how it works with this. You've, you've got a very complicated, interesting model. This mm-hmm. part crowdfunding, part investor funding, um, so I don't want to misspeak, but you know, without that first step, without those fans being involved, you wouldn't get to the next step. And so I, I think that this is such a great lesson that we can take these stories further than we thought to wider audiences than we thought. Uh, we have to be a little creative with it, but I, I think there's definitely ways to do it. So, and you're, and you're showing that. So I'm, I'm excited to see this come to the screen. Yeah. And you know, it's really the first time my producers have ever done anything like this. They've all their other movies were done traditional Hollywood. Uh, when this idea started being talked about, they were, you know, literally shut down because of 2020. Nothing yeah. was going on. So they were just like talking about it. They're like, should we try that? You know, and they called me and my agent and we're like, what? That's not what was, you know, proposed at the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. And but they're like, you know what, we kind of want to try it for these reasons. And we're like, you know what, it's 2020. Go for it. You know What else could go wrong? But right. it actually went completely right. And they found out it was one of the most enjoyable experiences ever, because not only did they get to partner, because it's not actually just crowdfunding, it's actually investment. Okay. So it's it's like there's not they don't just raise money for raise money and whatever. These are all investors in the film and they all get their share back and all this stuff. And so they opened for a brief window like, hey, we'll just do it for a develop like de- a development thing. We'll just see what happens. And that was raised very quickly. In fact, they became the poster child for that investment platform because they're like, we have never seen anyone raise that many millions of dollars or whatever. It wasn't that many, but they only opened it for that brief thing um, so quickly. And they're like, they're like, what, what did you do? And, and it was just such a combination of things that they were like, well, this is enjoyable. Well, guys, they just opened the ability to invest in the sequels. It will close soon, but the window just opened, I'd say like three weeks ago. And they're going to close it again. They're doing the same thing. We're just opening it for the development and then we're closing it. And people who who saw the calculated, they were actually really sad that they didn't get, you know, to invest in calculated because they're like, what if you had invested in Hunger Games? You know, they're like, you're crying now that you said no, you know, (laughs) so they're like, here's your second chance because they weren't sure that they would do it for the sequels. But they're like, it was such a great experience. So everybody, they're becoming investors and it's the first time they're giving the public a chance to invest. So it's not exactly like um, the chosen because these are actually investors in the film. And so they're, and they said they wanted to open it so wide to the public that they went as low as a hundred dollars. Cause they're like, no. And they, they were like, they wanted, you know, like anyone to say, Hey, I really love this series. I want to do it too. And so that's been fun for them. That was the first time they've ever done anything like that. They found it to be an incredible 
gift because they ended up meeting all these investors that they never would have met before. And, and then these investors started bringing all kinds of like, Hey, guess what? You know, I'm actually, I do like press releases and they're like, Whoa, you know, it's like they were offering their fandom and their resources and, and, and friendship. Now I've, I've many uh, investors have reached out to me we become friends and they love the series. It's been such an enjoyable experience. Wow. Do you all have an aggressive timeline or any idea of when you might start announce casting director? Filming, post-production, even release framing. Do you know whether this will be a theatrical release or a streaming service? Any of yep. those things that you can say? Yeah, they um, because they've done this many times before. You know, my my main producer, he's been in the business 30 years. He's like, you know, you read his resume and you're like, wow, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, The Terminator, Goonies. Like he was like original. He's like, OG. OG. You know? Wow, okay. Like he's been in the business a long time. He like him and his partner revenued like four billion dollars from the industry. He's worked with every studio in Hollywood. Um, so he's definitely like, nope, this is gonna be a global theatrical release. You know, it's gonna have all the stuff. It's gonna have the pre-release at the the film festival. So you get you trade reviews, you know, and that kind of stuff. But it's a global theatrical release. They go into production in 2024. Release at this moment is scheduled for July 2025. Okay. So that is their schedule. Now, if you are in Hollywood, there's two ways of, or I say Hollywood, meaning like more of the film industry. It's just kind of like everyone just says that because I don't know why. Um, but in the film industry, that's so funny because people talk like, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be so huge. And then the other side is like, and it might never, ever happen because, <laughs> you know, and so you have these two yeah. things that are warring with each other because it actually takes a lot to make a movie. And there's a lot you watch of the credits. That you see everyone that's involved in making it. It's quite it's long. huge. It's yeah. huge. And so entertainment attorneys, they're like, why do a lot of people's books get optioned but never made? Right. They can get right up to production and never made. They can even be in production and then stop production. Or in some cases, you make the entire movie and then you cancel it because of tax purposes, which is what they did to uh, Batgirl <laughs> last fall. It was yes. going to be a streaming service movie. Or no distribution. There's just all kinds of things that could go wrong. Not that they say that, but I'm just saying, you know, you talk to everybody, they're like, yeah. There's a lot of failure points. There's a yeah. lot of failure points. And so for me, I've been taking every step, just celebrating everything that I can. And that's all you can do because you don't want to sit here and just be like, oh, what's going to happen next? Like, no, I'm just like, I'm enjoying the ride. And it's a good ride right now. My production team is incredible. They're incredible men to work with, incredible women. There's women on the team as well. It's an incredible team to work with. I couldn't be happier. And they all are, they are like going to fight. I know they're going to fight to see it to the very end. That's just who they are. And um, so I'm really confident in them and yet holding it, holding it in, in uh, palms, you know? Well, I'm so pulling for this project and especially for the July, 2025 uh, early release window and all that stuff can get changed or moved all the time, of course. But I'd really like you to keep that because uh, supposedly there's going to be a James Gunn Superman movie that I really uh, (gasps) would love to support anything, but that project. Uh, (laughs) And this is the movie I would go to see in theaters instead of whatever nonsense he's coming up with. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yes, we are. That is our goal. Who knows? Maybe it will be quicker. But like I said, they're doing a ton of work for all four movies. And that's why they're taking their time. And so they're like, we are in no rush because we want all four. Yeah. And so they're doing that's awesome. They're doing the work for all four right now. And so for me as the author, I'm like, it's already been a couple years, you know, so I've already like that excitement of like wanting it to be tomorrow is over. Now I'm just like, up. Oh, I totally understand this process. And um, it's exciting. It's really fun. And it's hard too. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying the ride. Yeah. You have to keep in mind, like, every, like think about how many viewers a movie has or a book has, you know, readers. It's so different what we see in our minds. And like with fans posting, like I envision Kai and Joe and all the actors like this, they're all different. They're all different. Like every, every reader has a different idea on what these characters look like. And there there's definitely overlap and similarity. So I myself am just very, very excited to see, but also like, Oh, what is it? Gonna, what am I going to feel like when I see the real actors that are going to step into these roles? 
Well, suddenly it gains a whole different dimension in that case. I can only imagine what it's like or what it will be like for you, presumably, uh, when you see your world come to life in the hands of other actors and artists. But in the meantime, uh, and even if uh, there's something going on with the project that we wouldn't want to see happen, but you'll always have the books. You always have the books, which are calculated, simulated, activated, and then book four comes out when, under what title? liberated yay there's no exact release date but the end of summer early fall okay so but presumably this year then okay all right awesome we'll we'll look forward to that we'll of course have all those links in the show notes uh links to the folks uh, making the movie hey pray for this project folks you know don't support it just because you're supposed to support the thing uh it sounds legitimately awesome and something different very different uh not only among uh young adult thrillers uh but among stories that are made by a christian author so Nova, really appreciate you coming in here, even though you left some debris from the helicopter. I, I think you can still achieve liftoff. So we will be rooting for your success as you fly into other frontiers uh, chased by the mob. <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys. Loved chatting with you. Thanks for joining us. Stephen, we talked in the beginning with Nova about C.S. Lewis and the impact he made on her life. But as a young adult, like in her 20s, And it's always so fun to hear that and to think about how C.S. Lewis himself was impacted, you know, in in kind of his middle life, uh, first by reading the fairy tale by George MacDonald. And that's what he said, baptized his imagination. And it really opened his eyes to like, okay, Christians can write pretty good stories. And uh, I didn't didn't think that uh, could happen. And looks like the, you know, the myth that I thought Christianity was is a true myth. And it really started that investigative process. And now he's one of our most celebrated fiction and nonfiction authors of the 20th century. So I always think about this with Christian stories that are being told now. How are those going to influence the next generation of thinkers, writers, influencers? And the language of today is thrillers and young adult and dystopian. Like This uh, calculated series is very much in that kind of cross-section of genres that are so impactful and and widespread right now. So I'm very excited uh, and I'm very hopeful to see where this goes. And uh, it was just great having Nova on to talk about all this. And it will be great to see Nova in person because it turns out she is coming on a book tour in Texas cities uh, later this month. If you're listening to this on our release week later this week, she will actually be in Texas uh, and actually starts uh, in Fort Worth uh, Monkey and Dog Books. She'll be joined uh, by Candace Cade, who was on our podcast last month, as well as uh, Sandra Fernandez Rhodes. Uh, and then in uh, Thursday, April 27th, Waco, Texas, she'll join us, uh, Candace Cade, again uh, with Rona Kindig. So, two authors we've mentioned in this episode in the same event. Uh, and then on Friday, April the 28th, she'll be coming down to Austin, where Zach and I live. Uh, it'll be Nova McBee, uh, Becky Dean, BL Dean. Uh, as well as Nova McBee. So we're looking forward to that. They're going to chat about sci-fi, YA, all that good stuff, uh, these different places. Oh, Thursday, Common Grounds Coffee in Waco. And then on Friday, uh, it's a store called Book People in Austin. We'll try to put those links in the show notes if we've got them. So that's that mission update. Uh, Meanwhile, at Lorehaven for the mission update, uh, Mandalorian Season 3 and Star Trek Picard Season 3 uh, just uh, ended uh, last week, but we had an article about just the Mandalorian season three. Trust me, I would rhapsodize about the awesomeness that is Picard if I had the time, and I will do so as soon as I can. But in the meantime, uh, we had uh, Daniel White the Fourth writing an article called "Why the Mandalorian Makes Sense in a World That Masks Creedal Religion." You'll want to check that out and see him explore uh, some of the more spiritual themes of season three. We also had a book review of our second sponsor in this episode, Infernal Fall. That published last week. Uh, This Friday, we have our book review coming out for Calculated, uh, whose author you just met. So sign up at lorehaven.com, and you can choose to get updates about those Friday book reviews, as well as any articles, news, book quest information, podcast updates, anything you want. We've actually got a new email server now. It was a little enthusiastic and was sending out some blank uh, emails for articles that we hadn't written. So... Uh, much respect to the email provider there, but we're not quite that prolific, nor do we want to overwhelm anyone's inbox. So sign up at lorehaven.com and choose which updates you want to receive. You can also get your exclusive invitation to join 
our Lorehaven Guild community on Discord. And you can also prepare for our next book quest, which is for the S.D. Smith uh, middle grade uh, YA adventure novel, Jack Zulu and the Waylanders Key. It's going to be led by the prolific uh, Elijah David. Uh, that one starts in May, book quest in Lorehaven Guild. Well, let's head over to our comm station. We had an article recently from A.D. Sheehan that was titled Christians who feel media malaise can find buried treasure in older books. And man, this, this just grabbed my attention right away, Stephen. Great that was article a good one. Yep. by Andy and uh, several comments on this. So one comment was from CM Ginton, who was grateful for Sheehan's media malaise article and says, quote, thank you AD for this article. Yes. I draw from the deep wells of classic literature as I write my futuristic science fiction. Were there ever the good old days of literature? I doubt it. But zero-calorie diet of postmodern writing is well put. Everything has gone flat. Or one could say, into the void has rushed fantastical creatures, gods, and demons, like in the most ancient times, end quote. That's just a little scary. That's true. If there is a void of fantastical imagination, then the old creatures will come back, and they are not in a good mood and are not good for your soul. Yep. And Jay DeNitto recalls that older stories often prove more daring and says, quote, with older books, you avoid a lot of the ubiquitous cinematic tropes. Usually there was less of a set formula back then for characters. So writers could afford to get away with doing things that are odd to modern sensibilities End quote. And yeah, that could be kind of a double edged sword. I mean, I feel that sometimes when, when reading older books and kind of the golden age of sci-fi books, it's, it can be really different and weird, but that can be refreshing because it breaks you out of just that formula you become so used to that a lot, you know, the algorithm now that everything gets squeezed by. So it is fun just for the sake of something new. And even if you don't like it, it's like, hey, at least that was different. <laughs> we had a longer message sent directly to podcast at lorehaven.com from Jenny Chastain. It's worth quoting in full. She says, I know I'm late to this episode, but I wanted to thank you for number 153. When can deconstructionism threaten Christian fiction? I found the definition of postmodernism really thought provoking, and I'd never fully connected that concept in my mind with the rising popularity of deconstructing. As I listened to the episode, I started asking hard questions of the stories I write. I think of them as stories that support truth and portray a world that has foundations. But I realized that I've been subconsciously deconstructing some tropes and sometimes trying to make readers feel like they're in on the joke. Do you think that can be done in a way that's actually constructive as long as I'm still showing a world where good and evil have weight? How can I show characters questioning and changing what they believe without falling for the deconstruction fad? Zach, those questions were so good at the end, I almost want to make a whole episode about it. And so we probably will. We're not going to retread the origins of deconstructionism uh, like uh, Vocal Distance did Michael Young in that episode 153. But it's worth then bringing that to the present and then asking, okay, can you do deconstruction right? Like we were talking earlier about tropes and things with Nova McBee and about asking those deep questions. Like that is a good kind of process that a Christian should do working through faith and imagination, uh, do you call that deconstructionism? I don't know. I, I just call that analysis. I call that uh, reconstruction. Uh, you are taking something apart to discover how it works, but then you're putting it back together, having benefited from the experience. Uh, actually, some of my favorite directors, uh, Anthony and Joe Russo, who directed the Captain America movies and the uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, uh, they were on a podcast last week uh, with another favorite director of mine, Zack Snyder. They're all good friends. No Marvel versus DC rivalry there. Uh, they just love making awesome movies. And Snyder was talking about how he likes deconstruction, but for the purpose of seeing how it works. Why does this trope work? Why does this mythology appeal to us so much? Uh, in Snyder's view, you deconstruct something to put it back together and then learn from and benefit from the experience. That's very different from the type of postmodernism that yeah, we're talking about. I, I would I would say that's a totally different thing. I would call I wouldn't that call it deconstruction. No, yeah. I would call that disassembly. <laughs> exactly. In order to reassemble. I mean, who of us has not opened up a toy when you were a kid and then maybe you were a fool and now I can't figure out how to put this back together, but at least you tried. You weren't trying to destroy <laughs> the toy because of your tragic backstory of the church back home. You just wanted to see how it worked. Uh, yeah. And then maybe your sibling got mad at you because it's broken, but hey, at least you tried. If you get smarter about it, you can take it apart, put it back together, or even make a new and improved version that respects what came before. 
which by the way is uh, why star trek picard season three is just the pinnacle of awesome fantastical storytelling uh this season and everybody should go watch it yesterday but i had to get in my free plug there because it's <laughs> quite the refreshing reminder that they're still good to be found in popular culture even among some stories that claim they're deconstructing yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, a really good friend of mine, uh, John Fuller, we're talking on the phone, and all of a sudden I hear this scratching sound, and everything just gets weird with the audio, and he's like, oh, sorry, I was taking apart the phone while we were talking because As I was curious does. how it worked. And so, yeah, I, I think there's a, a difference in subverting expectations and subverting values. So, so on one hand, it's like, okay, I, I think there are some tropes that are just arbitrary and there's really no good reason for certain tropes. It's just sort of the expectations we've all built up. But then there are objective values, objective truth. There's you know reality and how things work or how things should work. You don't want to subvert morals. You don't want to subvert uh, God's truth in the world. And, and that's where you get into the deconstruction territory and just saying, well, there's, there's really no truth. It's just truth is interchangeable with power. People say something is true because it gives them power. I mean, that's the deconstruction approach of, of just kind of a cynicism about everything. But I, I think it's fun to sort of surprise people with the story. Like it, it goes in a little bit direction than you think. And for no other reason, it's like we said with the media malaise, just to give someone a new story. I don't see anything wrong with that, but well, don't get me talking about The Last Jedi, because that's the opposite of Picard is what it sounds like, is, you know, you, you had these people wanting to take apart Star Wars and not to see how it worked and put it back together, but to just leave it in pieces, basically. And and nothing really meant anything. There, were, there was no purpose for any of the actions in The Last Jedi. Every character was just kind of humiliated, basically. And that's the kind of deconstruction. It, it's the kind of in result that oh there's really no heroes and there's really no villains there's just people doing arbitrary weird things and nothing really matters there's no meaning to it whereas if you're just subverting expectations and giving surprises and you're still showing goodness and truth through the story then sure why not yeah jenny i think that uh, although we're not a writer's podcast i think your comment is right on time uh, even for an episode that we aired last month because Nova McBee was just here uh, and you hear her enthusiasm for proclaiming a story for coming up with some new concepts that uh, strike a lot of people as genuinely fresh and new. Uh, I think that's the best way to do something new or to mess with tropes or anything is to emphasize that she is doing the meaning of these things. And what is the positive meaning about gifts and humanity and how our prodigy ought to act in a world full of criminals out to get her and all that fun stuff. I think the very act of asking the question and hoping that one is not doing this in one's own creative works is a great indicator uh, that you're probably safe. But I think these are great questions to ask, and I'd love to continue to ask those either in our next episode or maybe we'll talk about homeschool families and reading. I don't know. This has been a rough week, frankly, so it's really difficult to figure out which one is most relevant right now. So, hey, multiple choice. Or maybe the aliens will land and we'll talk about aliens again. Uh, we'll just have to see. Uh, Zach, I think, has told me, though, it actually it's been kind of dull on that front. Uh, yeah. the, they are not out there and the news is not the truth is still out there somewhere. Uh, it's not being talked about. So uh, one of those topics or another next on Fantastical Truth. Meanwhile, you may feel uh, you have special gifts. You may feel like you're looking at the world a little bit differently. If so, if your gifts are in accord with God's word, then rejoice in those. He has given you this outlook, this different worldview. Just make sure that you're keeping it grounded in the gospel. As you look into the world, you see the fractals, you see the equations, maybe even guess what's going to happen. And watch out for the mobsters that are coming after you as you continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>